Hey, Greg. Hey, Andrew. It's March 22nd, 2018. What the heck are you into? Well, I've been very fortunate um, to have some time to watch some ooky spooky movies. Oh, no. Um, Karen's been working on a, a new project, which has her some nights of the week. Um, she's, you know, um, uh, recapping some TV shows, and, which means... She needs to kind of have some undisturbed TV time off in one room, which means I get some undisturbed TV time off in another room, which I use to watch, uh, apparently, <laughs> B-grade horror movies. Um, because, you know, it's like, you know, when you've got that, like, solo movie watching time, it's like, all right, what is this movie that I'm sure I'm not going to get a chance to watch if I have to, like, convince her to watch it with me? So I watched um, uh, The Ritual on Netflix, uh, and also The Void uh, on Netflix. And they're both B-movies. One is a lot more B than the other. Um, the Ritual is actually pretty good. Um, it is about a quartet of British dudes who go off on a hiking adventure in Scandinavia and get mixed up in some very Nordic scandinavian flavored horror um and it, it was it was it was a lot of fun to watch it's not it borrows very heavily from a, a lot of other horror movies in not a winking kind of way not in a like cabin in the woods kind of like oh we're you know writing a love letter to this style of horror movie it's just like oh no you're just taking a lot of shortcuts here <laughs> just derivative um, Yes, but still fun to watch, partially because um, it's a new, you know, it's a new kind of setup, and the Norse mythology angle is, you know, kind of uncharted ground, and it's it's actually pretty beautifully shot in the these kind of desolate Scandinavian forests. Um, uh, it was pretty good, and I was doing a little research on it this morning, and it's actually based on a novel of the same name that has a lot more of a black metal connection <laughs> than they used in the movie. Um, apparently some black metal teens are a major part of the plot in the novel uh, and are nowhere to be found in the movie, but still pretty good. Um, and I also watched The Void, which is much lower budget and much like you can you can see the budget in the acting performances and in the script writing and in a lot of the monster effects but it's still got a weirdness to it that I really like a kind of weirdness that is kind of there in like the Hellraiser movies or the you know, the other kind of kind of Clive Barker horror movies that there's just a strange atmosphere to it. And it's a little psychedelic and a little weird and also highly derivative. It almost feels like somebody had a wish list of like when they finally got to make their horror movie, these are all the things they want to include, whether or not they make sense or fit in with what else is going on. Like it's kind of a body horror movie and it's kind of a zombie movie and it's kind of a cult movie and it's kind of a Lovecraftian horror movie and it's kind of a hellraiser type horror movie it's just everything but um it was pretty cool had some has some uh pretty neat ideas and i would like to see what this um with the people behind it if they got a little bit more budget 
behind them and a little bit of a better script because again a lot of the dialogue was just super clunky even for a low budget horror movie on netflix but uh yeah i've been i've been watching the ookie spooks and I, i've been enjoying it getting ready for uh just trying to get out of the winter slump here get ready for spring to turn around so you get yourself extra spooked <laughs> yeah you know there's the time of year when everybody wants to watch the spooky movies you know mid-march <laughs> cool cool uh sounds like movies i probably won't watch no you wouldn't like them at all you don't think I'd like the first, well, the first one sound like, is it, is it pretty spooky? Yeah. I mean, okay. it's not, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't get scared by movies anymore, but, um. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I mean, it's not like I watch a horror movie and I'm like, you know, oh, that was scary. Like it doesn't, you know, it's more about like, oh, they use tension and like, um, uncertainty and those things. You can just kind of like, um. I don't know, man. It's just like, I'm not like, I'm not going to lose sleep over a horror movie anymore. You never have bad dreams? Um, not a, no, my bank account gives me bad dreams, <laughs> not horror movies. I have an overactive imagination, so when I watch <laughs> a horror movie, the next two months of my life is just nightmares <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I will say that the ritual, like what it borrows from North, Norse mythology, is not like exhaustively researched. Right. Um, it knows about as much Norse mythology as the guys who wrote Thor. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a bunch of gods' names and maybe a few minor plot points. <laughs> yeah, there's some runes. You see some runes. <laughs> Interesting. Is there a lot of like, I've never really wondered, I've always really noticed like, is there a lot of just like B level movies on Netflix that just like Ooh, never yeah. get talked about or examined? B and C and D. Gotcha. And below. Interesting. I mean, especially especially in the horror category. That makes sense, I guess. Why do you think horror movies attract B and C and D level people and get made? <laughs> so it seems like out of all the movies, that would be the one that would be the hardest to do without... I mean, I guess not just running around in forests from something unseen, but... Well, that's the thing. I think that as far as genre films go, horror is one of the cheapest ones to make. Um, because... All of your money gets spent on, you know, your kind of gore effects and or your monster effects. Um, otherwise, you shoot you shoot in the woods or an abandoned hospital. And, you know, and also I think there's something about, I don't know, maybe there's a chicken and egg problem. But, like, I think that genre fans, like horror fans especially, are willing to put up with, like, they're willing to put up with some bad acting to see some cool heart, like to see a cool monster or, you know, to, you know, to get some good spooks. So you can get away with lower production values in horror. Um, and I think also part of it is the assumption that horror movies don't make any money. So they don't make any money. You're not going to invest a lot of money in them. So yeah. Fair, fair. So last time we talked about, DC Universe and our vision for it of what it should be in film. That yes. if we were at the helm of DC Entertainment making a new you know, starting from scratch as if these movies never existed because they didn't. Uh, did you see Justice League as the lowest grossing DC EU movie? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Sad. So, in a world where that never happened we decided to make a new world in which we embraced the wackiness and the fantastical side 
of the DC multiverse. And we want to continue that today to get a little bit more into the details of what our plan would look like. But do we want to do a quick recap of where we're at? So, well, I think we what we did in the last episode, and generally we don't you don't need to listen to our podcast in order, although when I look at the stats, that's clearly what people do. <laughs> like they start back at episode one and like listen to them in order like we're telling one long story. <laughs> we have to get our, our inside jokes and, you know, little Easter eggs for the fans, which totally exist. Right, <laughs> right. Um, so, but this is one of the one of the circumstances where if for whatever reason you have not listened to the episode that comes before this, you should stop listening to this episode and go listen to that one because um, that is the episode where we set up what we want our new DC movies to be, what our kind of vision for the world, the, the larger um, cinematic universe should be, the tone, the feeling, um, why we chose to do it the way we want to do it, um, and all of that um, so that... On this episode, we just talk about the stories that we want to tell. But again, if you don't have the background, this conversation might not might feel incomplete. But yeah, the basic uh, the basic overview to just to catch you up in case you did listen to the last episode, but maybe it's been a week or two since you heard it. Um, the basic idea is, you know, like like Andrew said, we want to go into um, we want a a brighter, more fantastical universe because that's the way that. DC is. It's made up cities and wacky characters and weird, goofy secret identities that don't make sense in the real world. So let's throw out all the grim, gritty real world stuff and just approach these things like a fantasy movie and really build up a world um, and bring the bring the viewer into the world rather than, you know, kind of set it up like, oh, this is our world. What if we dropped Superman into it and see how they would react? Um so we have this idea of we really want a world that has a history of superheroes as opposed to the Marvel universe where Iron Man was kind of the first one and then a bunch of other heroes kind of came out of the woodwork or appeared. Um, we want, you know, we want a world where where it feels, you know, where, where superheroes are a part of the background and they've been around since the 40s and um, to create that really that artificial world. Um so I think, and I, I think the tricky thing here is, you know, a, as we were kind of writing out our overarching plot ideas and how we would want to break this thing up into multiple movies, we kind of wrote it out chronologically, um, but I'm not necessarily sure that's the best way you'd want to release these. Like there might be something to be said for you started in the modern day um, and and then you build up the, the back history later. Or maybe you started in the 40s and just keep going. I'm not really sure what the best order to tell these things in, but um, I think being able to establish like a long history of what the Justice League is and how these characters interact and how the mantle of, you know, one character moves on to another person, which is something that's kind of unique to the DC universe, is that like there have been multiple flashes there have been multiple Green Lanterns, and it's like a title that gets passed along. And that's something we want to embrace and we want to use over multiple movies, um, which is, again, that's something that makes DC unique, so let's lean into it. Right, and as part of that, we're really trying to sort of take a fresh look at what, what these characters are and sort of what they mean and who they are, maybe maybe undoing some things or taking a revision, to using a, you know, revising some of what their, I don't know what their power sets are, like their... their 
what makes them the characters. We don't want to change them completely, but things like maybe not making Superman quite as powerful. He's still really strong and can fly and shoot laser beams and whatever else he can do, but he's not like crack the earth in half strong or like, you know, the flash is not run at 10 times the speed of light fast, maybe, or at least to start because when those things exist, it sort of makes it hard to tell interesting <laughs> stories that don't get like sort of have a ton of weird science and MacGuffins and things to pre prevent that stuff from happening. And I don't know, it just gets very, very strange very quickly. So I think that right. if we can keep them relatively, I mean, they're still fantastical characters, but relatively reined in, it will help make us have more compelling stories. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, works well when you watch like, you know, some of the bigger Avengers set pieces is you can see all the characters kind of playing their role for the most part. And then Hawkeye and Black Widow always look kind of goofy. Um, but like each one kind of has a different kind of role in a battle and kind of like a D&D &D party. And you kind of want that same thing from Justice League. But when one of the people on the league is the fastest, the strongest, shoots laser beams out of his eyes, can see through walls, you know, and he's like godlike, you start to wonder what is Batman doing here? It's all, it's almost, you, you have to come up with these stupid reasons of like, well, we're going to the other team, we're going to the rest of the team, like fight the bad guy until Superman like shows up. Cause he's like busy on the other side of the world or, you know, like what's the point of the flash if Superman is all is like 90% as fast as him. Like really, do, what do you need the flash on your team for? Um, what's the point of wonder woman when she basically does everything Batman does minus heat vision and x-ray vision and frost breath and all that stuff. It's so like, oh, she's just kind of a worse version of Superman. So bringing Superman down a little bit so that he's maybe a little bit more like Thor in the Marvel movies, um, kind of at that level, like, you know, I mean, maybe godlike isn't the best word to describe Thor, but like where you're like, okay, yeah, he's, you know, he's strong and he can fly, but the Hulk is stronger. Yeah. And, um, you know, Iron Man has a lot much more like maneuverability in the air, right? Like he's your air support. Like, so you kind of break this up a little bit and that's what we want to do. We want to make Superman a little less godlike. And also I think, and this was a really interesting touch you brought when we were kind of mapping this out was you want a younger Superman, yeah. at least to start with a Superman who's a little bit more Superman year one when Batman's in year 10, um, so that he's maybe a little bit less of an insufferable Boy Scout in some ways. Yeah, I feel like he's still figuring it out. And I think it helps to have him take time to grow into his role as a member. And then, you know, I guess tentatively the leader of the Justice League. I don't know if we've actually decided that he is. Uh, but that, that helm might be better worn by somebody else. But... um yeah, just that he, because he, he's going to age slowly. And we're looking at a long view, probably upwards of 100 years of cinematic work, perhaps. Well, and, cinema, 100 years in universe right, time. Not, right. <laughs> not we want to make these movies until 2117. I mean, I think that's how stuff we're going to see from Marvel and Star Wars. But no, but, um, but yeah, 100 in universe time, you know, so that we're going to see Superman, that same Superman, probably more or less, although I think that including a time when he's not there might be a good idea at some point. Um, but like more or less as a consistent person for a, a long time, he ages slowly. So he will still be there when there's a different Greenland and a different, and that sort of dynamic of him being the one who's there when everyone else isn't necessarily, 
I guess Wonder Woman is long lived too. I don't remember. But that's the thing is we don't have to. I think one thing is that people, and I, I get it, people want to see the stories they know, right? They want to see, you know, Tower of Babel and they, they want to see uh, Flashpoint. They want to see things like that turned into a movie. And I completely get and understand that sort of desire. But I also think that part of Marvel's success was taking bits and pieces of different storylines, sometimes more than others, like the Winter Soldier storyline is pretty, you know, connected. The Infinity War one is looking eh, less connected, but it has some, you know, pieces that are very similar. But really just being like, you know what, we know who our characters are, the exact details of the plot and the universe and the story aren't as important. To, they don't have to align with the comics no matter what, especially depending on what universe you're looking at. And in DC's world, that's a particularly bad one. It's like, well, what you're talking about Earth 1, you're talking about pre-crisis Earth, post-crisis Earth, you're talking about pre-Flashpoint. It's like, it doesn't even matter. Like DC can't, the comics can't even keep it all straight. So we don't need to keep it straight in the movie. Right. And 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 I, I come back to this and I think Marvel gets this. And I mean, I guess the example is look at Logan. Logan doesn't tell a story you've already heard from a Wolverine comic. It throws out the canon of the other movies, as far as we can tell. Um, and everyone would agree that's one of the best because it takes a character and understands who that character is and tells a new story. And I think that's what we are trying to do here, especially because, again, if we're taking a different perspective than the Marvel movies of building up to big events and building up to big events and rather telling a very, you know, telling a long story that spans over a very long period of time and how these characters change and grow and how the team changes and grows and adapts and creates a world that is fully populated with superheroes. Um, we're going to have to come up with some new stories. Um, and also, again, like you said, the DC universe is now Marvel is guilty of some comic book ass nonsense, but DC is far more comic book ass nonsense and untangling any of it is just a fool's errand. So, um, and if you're the kind of weirdo who wants to see like the monitor and anti-monitor duke it out on the big screen, I encourage <laughs> you to go write your own weird little fan fiction about that because I can't, I can't go there with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, we'll obviously we'll take things from different stories and ideas that are, they'll still be there because that's part of what makes this universe, but not be beholden to any of it. Yeah. And I think giving us, uh, allowing us to kind of, do this and look at different periods of American history and brought drop our heroes into the, into those contexts is something that hasn't been done before. Um, and I think that's really, really interesting. Like, you know, you know, Superman in the cold war is, is interesting. Um, and if we have to just go and, you know, um, rehash something from the comic we don't get to tell that story we don't get to explore that space so that's what we're doing we're doing it our way doing it our way all right so greg you had some ideas uh yes, here yes. and i had some ideas and i had some questions that i think we need to keep in mind as we move through ideas yeah and we're just going to kind of like kind of develop this as we go and i so anyway so so i started with 1948 which i think is where we kind of agreed like it's after World War II, so we don't have to have weird questions about, like, why didn't Superman just end the war? And the answer is because he wasn't fully powered up by that point and was also kind of like a teenager still. Um, so that's where we're going to kind of kick off. 
And um, I really want to use this first, at least chronologically in the fiction, uh, whether or not it's the first movie that would come out and that you would see. I don't know. But I think this is where you establish why set up a Justice League. How do you set up a Justice League? Um, but I don't want to take the obvious route of some uh, existential threat, you know, like they did where, you know, where Steppenwolf shows up and is going to turn the earth into like hell. Um, so that's why we need to get the team together. I, I think, I don't know. I, I'm tired of that sort of thing. So I wanted to bring it down to earth a little bit more and kind of put it into a 1940s setting. And so the villain I chose was Intergang, which is, um, it's a gang. <laughs> um, but the concept was they were a nationwide gang as opposed to, you know, where, you know, the idea of, oh, you would have little, you know, different gangs would kind of run in different cities, but this was a nationwide gang, but they also had, um, this high, super high tech weaponry that in the comics was eventually revealed to be coming from dark side, which is kind of weird that like the death God of the planet apocalypse is like running guns for some like bootleggers. So maybe we don't get into the whole dark side, new gods angle right then and there, but that's your villain. So it's a, you know, it's a gang, a 1940 style. Yeah. We're going to rob you kind of gang. Um, to kind of make that era feel real, but also give them some cool, high-tech, extraterrestrial-type weaponry. And that's why um, Superman and Batman need to kind of team up here, is because Batman's got a lot of experience busting gangs in Gotham. That's what he was doing all through the 40s, because most of the Gotham police force was over there fighting, you know, fighting Nazis. Um so, you know, Batman was picking up the slack and taking care of, you know, all the gangs that were kind of taking over Gotham. He's got a lot of experience with gangs, but these guys have like plasma rifles and Batman can't keep up with that. Superman, he wants to work on the inner gang problem in Metrop Metropolis, but he's like brand new to all this, doesn't really know what he's doing, has no idea how to be like a proper crime fighter above and beyond like, you know, the big feats of strength or, you know you know, saving somebody from falling out of a building. Like, that's stuff Superman knows how to do. He doesn't know how to take on organized crime. So you've got, you know, combining Batman's experience with Superman's, like, indestructibility. Um, and they think, okay, we can start to, you know, get this together. So they kind of, um, as they kind of work on dismantling intergang, they're going to have to go to some other cities. Can't just be ba uh, Gotham and Metropolis, right? So you're going to go to some other cities, and that's where we're going to start to meet some other heroes guys like the flash who are you know doing what they can in their own city um or green arrow um but these more of kind of like maybe more i guess what we call like street level heroes at this point um and the idea is look if we're going to stop this you know we've got a gang that's as big as america we need a super team that is also as big as america so that's how you kind of set up your justice league of america that, you know, this is to help us take on the threats that, you know, are bigger than just our, you know, the little cities that we're sworn to protect. Um, and then I think so um, they, you know, they go through the thing. They beat the big boss of Intergang, whatever that might be. They dismantle the cool neutron bomb or whatever they've been building to, you know, um, raise the stakes. And at the very end of the movie is where we introduce Green Lantern. That's kind of your 
hint at the wider world because he's the space cop and these guys are running around with alien weapons. So now all of a sudden Green Lantern's like, hey, Justice League, this is my jurisdiction. And that would be that would be your Justice League 1948. I like it. Um, I like that. I didn't realize I'm not I was not familiar with Inner Gang. I'm glad that it came from the comics. I like the so last time we spent a lot of time talking about like who was going to be our Justice League. And then like when I sat down today, I'm like, I don't really care. <laughs> and like the part of me that like, as I was thinking about this and thought about one thing I like about the Justice League and what they used to do in the show sometimes and in the comics is like, it's always kind of rotating. It's just like, who's ever on deck, like who's ever available that time and day, like almost every, I feel like every movie we show, we should see a slightly different team. Obviously yeah. at the core, but I think that, yeah, sometimes Green Arrows are, sometimes he's not. Sometimes you pick up a new people. And like as you go through time, not all of these things are going to have mantles necessarily. Like maybe Green Arrow was a hero in the 40s and 50s, but, eh, you know, didn't really inspire enough people to pick up an air bow and arrow and right. keep up the mantle. So ah, you have somebody else in, in the next team. So I like that idea. Um, I like the setting because in that post-war period before the Korean War, which I want to ask a question about then. Um, you know, the Cold War hasn't really technically begun yet. I mean, I guess somewhat technically. So I think 1948 is the year that they detonated, the Soviet Union detonated their atomic bomb. Maybe 47? I forget. Yeah, I was going to say, don't phrase that like a question. You're the history <laughs> major. I know. 47 40. I forget which one. Um, or is it much later? No, I think, I don't know, somewhere in there. But <laughs> I like the lower stakes seems like a caper seems yeah. like you, you run around the world and and have a lot of fun run around the united states and have a lot of fun it's not necessarily worldwide yet and it would explain sort of like you said like the need to have some sort of type of organization do we get a hall of justice in this movie i don't think so okay i think that, that I, one. I think the hall of justice has to come a little later um i, I i'm not trying to like totally you know, ground this thing. Cause I think we talked about like, this needs to take place in a world where a bunch of costumed weirdos form a justice league with a straight face and call it the justice league with a straight face. Um, and do it without winking at the camera. Like, uh, you know, like they did in the, in the crappy movie. Um, so yes, we need a hall of justice, and we're going to call it that, and it's going to look like it's supposed to look. <laughs> it's going to look like it does in the Super Friends. But, yeah, I, I don't think we're there yet. I think yeah. it's just, like, this is when they realize that some problems are bigger than, you know, are bigger than their own city. And, um, and you know, that they, they're going to need to work together for some things. Because I think it's also, like, one of the big things about the Justice League that doesn't make sense is, like, they don't just hang out in the Hall of Justice all day. Like, don't they all have, like lives back in wherever they're from like doesn't bruce wayne have to go back to gotham at some point and like run the wayne foundation can't just be hanging out in costume all the time it's more like a we get together when something matters right and or you know if we're going to do some kind of mission like you say we'll pick the right people for that mission like get the flash on the phone this seems like his kind of thing hey flash you busy um yeah cool I like that it's, you know, it's it's narrow in focus, and I think that it's a good place to start. I like the characters you've got, like Batman, Superman. Is Wonder Woman there, too, I assume? I th I want to bring in Wonder Woman uh, Later. Okay. in the next one. So Batman, so Batman, Superman, Flash, Green Arrow, and then we see Green Lantern at the end. I like that. That's a good introduction. Is Robin there? Um, 
so uh, all right because i so i don't i don't think i want to bring in robin yet because what i think what i'd like to do is in 48 in this adventure like batman realizes like hey working with a partner because he's been working with superman this kind of like younger you know uh you know younger kind of partner he's like i could get used to this so by the time we get to the next movie, he has recruited a partner and has been working with that partner for a while. Um, but I think that gives you a natural intro to to Robin. It makes um, sense. And it doesn't weigh you down with, you know, okay, I, 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 I you know, because I, I mean, I feel like we don't have to introduce people to Batman that much. Like, no origin stories. Um, people know who Batman is. We don't need to have a lot of time. People know who Superman is. We just kind of need to frame them within our space. But even then, I don't want to. I don't want to bring in too many characters, you know, and bring Robin into it. And now, you know, Batman, who's one of our central characters, he's got to be having conversations with Robin, and he's going to have conversations with Superman. It's, it's just too much, I think, for your first one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Keep it. I think that the crew you've gotten, you've chosen there, makes sense, and the progression of the team makes sense. So, looking here, the next one you've listed is Justice League, nineteen fifty-five. Yes. I want to talk about what happens in those, you know, seven years between 48 and 55. You mean in, in, in real history or, or what, you, where, what you're seeing happening in well, the universe? Well, both, right? We want to talk about, so how, what is, you know, because one of the things we want to explore here that's fun is what is the impact of having superheroes who run around in tights with secret identities on our world history? Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to account for all the butterfly effects that you can, you know, one thing is different and how different time and history would look. So obviously that's not the goal, but to do something fun with it or something that, and at least it makes somewhat sense, which is a fantasy world. We still should have it make some sort of logical sense of why things happen or don't happen. So the biggest thing that happens in this time period is uh, the Korean War, right? Mm -hmm. So, and the one question I have is throughout this whole time period, because most of the 20th century is dominated by, uh, or the latter half of the 20th century is dominated by the Cold War. And how does the Cold War, of which the Korean War is part of, how does this play into our world? And how does the Cold War exist when Superman and the Justice League of America exist in your eyes? So I think, canonically, I think Superman helps out in Korea because... I think if anybody in our little, you know, kind of Justice League cohort, like, feels like the Korean War is, you know, the morally correct thing to do and the patriotic thing to do, it's going to be Superman. Um, but I also don't think Superman would really let himself be used as, like, a weapon of war. Like, I don't think you're going to see Superman, like, flying over battlefields and, like, you know, raining down heat vision on, you know, on troops. Like, I would imagine he would probably feel more comfortable in a wartime scenario like, you know, I'm going to take out a munitions depot or I'm going to help, you know, you know, get wounded off the battlefield because um, I don't see Superman like feeling like it's his duty to murder communists. Yeah, I like that idea. Another idea I had two actually two different ideas. One's darker than the other one. Um, well, one idea I had is that, you know. I'm sure we could find somebody, but that that um, Soviet Union has not their own Superman, not Red Sun over here, but like a similarly powered hero 
that sort of makes it sort of like, ah, just like the, you know, we, you don't nuke us, we don't nuke you kind of yeah. thing. We don't unleash Superman, we don't unleash whatever. Let's keep our metas out of it. Another idea was that Superman is actively fighting. Maybe now you said like, not just like mowing down thousands of people with his heat vision, but just like, you know, breaking up tanks and whatever, yeah. doing what Superman does. And then the Soviet Union or China does something like sets off a nuclear bomb to try and kill him and like kills a bunch of people. And there is some sort of treaty or something that happens to sort of like say like, all right, like you're not going to get involved with like Justice League is not going to take a take a role in mundane affairs. Although where you draw that line, I think is difficult. Right. So I think that I I like the first idea better that there is a um that there is a superhero arms race, so to speak, where Russia has their own superhero or superheroes. And the idea is that um, just like, you know, the nuclear um, kind of deterrence of, you know, they, they're kind of holding each other at bay. And maybe that's your bizarro. You know, you've got a super, a, a slightly less functional Superman who has grown in a lab Um but I think the but I also think the idea that like Superman is like he doesn't he he doesn't want to be used as a weapon of war mm. like and he just won't do it like he you know and he's gonna have crisis of you know the whole you know where how does his truth justice in the American way work when he doesn't necessarily agree with what the American government is doing but you know he doesn't see himself as a tool of destruction so um. You know, it's not going to be like like you see it in Dark Knight Returns where, like, Ronald Reagan orders him to go, <laughs> you know. Interesting idea, but I don't – that's not yeah. the path I want to go down. I have a third um, idea, which is sort of uh, an extrapolation of the first. So part of the, you know, the context of the Cold War is that there was basically a line down the middle, free world, communist world, first world, second world, whatever you want to call it. What if Atlantis or Themyscira – uh-huh. side with USSR. <laughs> so you sort of have this awkward situation where Aquaman or maybe Wonder Woman are is on the Justice League, but to for any of them to intervene in sort of like mundane political affairs would lead to, you know, part of, part of what you're talking about, right? This like arms race, this you know, superheroes, re-superheroes, which you don't really want. But, you know, could we align? I mean, I, I guess looking at it like, you could say see Themyscira, sort of see egalitarian, somewhat, you know, communist society, or I guess Atlantis is usually more of like a, a monarchy, but there's no reason to say we couldn't. I don't know. There's something there I think that could be cool. I, 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 I like that idea, but I feel like that is a tough needle to thread. Yeah. Like, I could definitely envision some interesting arguments that Wonder Woman could make in favor of socialism. You know, I would really like to see that conversation, like a three-way conversation of her, Bruce Wayne, and Superman having that conversation about the merits of socialism versus capitalism. <laughs> but I feel like, I also feel like I don't see Wonder Woman aligning herself with the historical USSR, which was as much a, you know, tyrannical di dictatorship as it was a ostensibly socialist government. Fair, um, fair. So, I mean, I think at some point, and I actually think when we get to um, 1969, 
I think is when this will come to a head of what is the superhuman's role in geopolitical conflicts? Because on one hand, you could, you know, you could, you know, Superman could make the argument like, it's wrong for me as one man to go decide this conflict, to go and decide this for, um, for America. And by doing that, have to kill a lot of Vietnamese. That's not okay for me as one man to go do that. Um, but on the other hand, you know, um, you know, the argument of, hey, Superman, if you flew over there tomorrow, everyone would surrender. You'd be saving, you know, all the, the, the Viet Cong would surrender if you appeared, you know, in the sky. Um, you know, you'd be saving millions of, or thousands of lives by doing that. So I think that's an interesting conversation. But I think that in the Cold War, because really, you know, you got Korea and then it's things are pretty quiet in terms of like open armed conflict until Vietnam. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. As far as um, open armed con- conflict. Yes. Yeah. So I think we can hold that conversation for a while. But I think that the idea is that, yes, the Soviet Union has or at least is rumored to have their own metahumans and um, the Justice League is not comfortable intervening in world affairs they're there to they they see themselves as a like peacekeeping organization for america although that's going to change in 1955 so you were taking a very kind of historical geopolitical view to this i was thinking of what happens in movies in 1950s and it's fucking alien invasions so I wanted to set, you know, I wanted my Justice League 1955 to be just like a, um, you know, like 1950s sci-fi Red Scare allegory, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where, you know, it's all about paranoia and monsters in our midst and all that stuff that came along with it and, you know, you know, weird outer space shenanigans. So we met Green Lantern. At the end of the last movie, we've established that there is a outer space police force and there's some kind of extraterrestrial weapons that are making their way to Earth. Um, so the, the kind of inciting incident here is that Green Lantern, who normally, you know, just kind of hangs out in space and kind of like plays goalie for <laughs> extraterrestrial threats. He's become more active in, you know, down on the ground in America because he is pursuing an alien in our midst a shape-shifting alien who is among us and is probably from Mars and who knows what he's up to here on the planet. So, of course, that's the Martian Manhunter, um, our shape-shifting alien from Mars named John Jones for some reason. <laughs> they put apostrophes and Zs in it, so it's not just John Jones. Um, but um, but we learned that no, Martian Manhunter is actually a good guy. He's on Earth chasing another alien, Brainiac. Um, and so you've got paranoia about these, uh, you know, monsters in our midst, plus the rise of kind of, you know, the 1950s, 1960s, you start to get into the idea of computing and, you know, these powerful machines that can think. So you've got a lot of like that paranoia, um, and that kind of like retro future sci-fi going on. Um, and you get to have a wacky ass villain like Brainiac, um, that is going to test the entire league because you need the smarts from, uh, from Batman and you need Superman smashy smashy. And, but now we have an issue of again, oh, well, 
now the Justice League of America is really expanding into being this more like, well, no, we don't just protect America, we protect Earth. Um, so in order to stop Brainiac somehow, whatever the Brainiac's master plan is, um, I don't know if it's shrinking down cities and putting them in bottles, because apparently that's what Brainiac likes to do for some reason. Yep. Um, <laughs> but now we can introduce Wonder Woman and I guess Aquaman if you have to, because now it's now it's becoming, you know, we're protecting not just America, we're protecting the Earth. So we need representatives from all over the place. Um, so that is going to introduce Wonder Woman. It's going to introduce Martian Manhunter. Uh, I don't think Aquaman needs to be a main character in anything. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and maybe you don't have the Flash in this one. Maybe the Flash is off doing his own thing and you fill those kind of slots you know, just in how many characters can you cram in your movie? I don't have to cram them all in because, well, Flash just isn't in this one. Um, but we spend more time with Green Lantern and Martian Manhunter and Wonder Woman. And also, this is when, you know, and I even think Batman, you maybe you don't need as much Batman in this movie. Um, maybe you can leave it to some of the more colorful heroes. But this is also where we where Robin would be introduced. This is your Dick Grayson Robin. Um I want him to be closer in age to Batman. I don't want him to be a teenager for a couple of reasons. One that we'll get into as we get in further in, but also because that's pretty fucking irresponsible, Bruce. Like, bring in some, you know, like, 15-year-old out on your, like, missions to stop, you know, homicidal clowns. Like, no, like, get, get a, at least a legal adult. Um, <laughs> but that's when we'll have Robin, you know, at, you know, with Batman. And maybe Batman and Robin are just kind of cameos in this one but um yeah it's my it's it's my uh 50s paranoia sci-fi flick justice league 1955 i think it's a good uh i like you know so i think the picking something that's reflective of the era both from a societal context but also like from the art and the film that was coming out at that time i really like that i i think that you know i can see i think martian manhunter is a is actually a pretty strong character and one that's like a little underused sometimes um, I don't know why I think that. I don't have a strong reason, but I just think like whenever I see him, like I usually just like enjoy when he's in stuff. Um, although I don't so much like the interpretation of him in Supergirl, but it's fine. Uh, he's pretty powerful, which is fun. But I do like that. I do like Brainiac. I think Brainiac's like a classic goofy ass DC villain, and I would want to see how you would like thread the needle of like because like maybe like Brainiac's infiltrating us to learn about us and sort of, I like the idea of like the things that are happening, sort of raising flags, right? Like Brainiac maybe destroyed Mars, the civilization on Mars, you know, cause his thing is he comes and he takes a piece of it and then he wants to have only a piece of it. So he wipes out the rest of it. Um, something along those lines, depending on the interpretation. Sure. sure. Um, and so he's maybe infiltrated us learning about us. He's destroyed Martian Manhunter's world. Um, which may actually be, no, I don't know what happened in the actual comics, but one of the eight origin stories. It doesn't stories matter. It has it doesn't happened. Matter. Yeah. <laughs> They've so, done everything so many times. But then the big the big saucer comes at the end with like, you know, his actual ship, I think, would be would be cool. Uh, but I'm glad to, and I think that, I think that the, these moments need to be defining moments and have sort of like effects on the world. Like, I think that the fact that a big floating saucer showed up above i don't know somewhere and there's a big crazy fight like that should change the world right, right? aliens are real <laughs> yeah and i also think that at the same time 
that's happening. I think we should also be thinking about like how like crime, like base crime, I think has to like like base crime, like crime we'd see in our world. Yeah, maybe the higher end of crime we'd see in our world: bank robberies, murders, like gun running, you know, big drug whatever. Like these things need to get amped up. Not in that they are as a lot of them, but in that the people who are doing them are now by nature of the world have to be supervillains. Right. Essentially. And I really like that angle because it goes against the idea that having Batman and Superman be real. Oh, well there just wouldn't be crime anymore because everybody would be afraid of Batman and Superman. It's like, no, there, there would be, there would still be crime, but now the bad guys are all going to have kryptonite. Right. It's all as a gamesmanship, right? Like now, like you're not just be like, Oh, well, people are always going to want to do illegal things, right? So but then it's now just the people who it's a people of means, right? So it becomes right. It's always very much more an organized thing. Like maybe if you're like a mugger and you're in Gotham City and you're like, I up some girl's purse. You're like, you know, I don't want to end up in a body cast in a hospital somewhere. I'm just not going to do that tonight. Uh, but like now it's like mobsters and gangs that have to find their own weird technology or magic right. or whatever they need to do to like be able to get ahead a little bit and stay ahead of the justice league or of the individuals of the justice league. Right. It's like when cops started wearing bulletproof vests in America, it's not like all the criminals were like, all right, I guess we're done. <laughs> yeah. No, can't use started, guns anymore. <laughs> guess that's it. Uh, no, it was, you know, the, the savvy ones started carrying, you know, armor piercing bullets. Um, and it becomes an arm race, but I like the idea of, so it's one thing when conventional criminals versus conventional crime fighters, but when, you know, if you still want to be in the crime game, like you're right, now you have to find really crazy weapons and also be an extra crazy kind of person. Um, and also, I think that, you know, this we're talking about a heightened reality in the fantasy world where, you know, you know, the old Dick Tracy comics where like all of the mobsters had like weird facial deformities and funny nicknames. And like, <laughs> we can still live in that world. Like that can still be our world where, um, you know, all the mobsters are as eccentric as the Joker in their own way. Um, and, and I think we can, I think we can do that, but yeah, I like the idea of, you know, really small time crime might be going down a little bit. Um, but also, I mean, Batman's one guy it's true. like Batman. I mean, honestly, Batman's not stopping every purse snatching in Gotham. Um, you know, if you think about <laughs> modern cities with, police forces that are in the triple digits of staff purse snatchings and muggings still happen right like you think batman like he's going to be working on organized crime and supervillains you know where he where one man can conceivably make a difference he you know you can't really clean up the streets one beating at a time because somebody who's desperate enough <coughs> you know to make robbing their way of life like they're going to roll the dice on maybe getting their ass kicked by batman <laughs> right so yeah so i i think that um i'm just trying to think of what like in the 50s alien shows up what would, how would that change the world what do you think like do you think it would you know do you think it would affect the cold war do you think it would affect you know this is something that's you know obviously been played with and things like watchmen and things like that but uh yeah i'm not sure i mean in today's political climate which i know is not the cold war but you know, assuming that human beings are much the same as they are today as they were then. I'm sure if in the 1950s, a flying saucer appeared, 
you know, for real in the skies over Roswell, New Mexico. The Americans would say it was a Soviet plot. The Soviets would say it was an American plot. And we would not be uniting as a world to fight off the alien invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Americans would the Americans would use it as an excuse to like, well, you see, the Soviets have flying saucers now. We need flying saucers. So it would, you know, it, it would be like the space race times 10 because the technology would be much bigger. But and the and the Soviets would say, did you see that horrible super weapon that they tested over the skies in Roswell? We need one of our own. So I kind of think that's how it's going to go. Um, I mean, I think in a world where, you know, this is a world where, I mean, I don't think the existence of aliens is going to, like, be a huge culture shock to people. I like the idea that, like, yeah, that, you know, in by, in 1956, everybody's just used to the idea of, like, oh, yeah, no, like, you know, the ambassador from Venus stopped by the other day. <laughs> like, that's interesting <laughs> to me as opposed to, like, oh, you know, there was an alien uh, event, but everybody kind of chalked it up to their own thing. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't see it bringing us together because I don't I honestly don't know that that's what would happen. Yeah, no, that's not. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't. And that's not what I was really hinting at. More like I think this should be the start of a major diversion for our, our some of our world stuff, just like that people do know that aliens exist and that that maybe the way in which people sort of like work with technology and like you said, think about space and think about the things to focus on that maybe some of the things that happen that it just diverts our attention, I guess what I'm trying to say, like, or increases it in areas we already have, like the space race begins in, you know, the fifties. And now, well, we know we need to have things in space because there's people out there. Oh, and by the way, the Americans have access to the wreckage of Brainiac's ship. Right. You know, we're so on the moon see a little bit of, we're on the moon in 1957. We've got a Mars colony in 1962. Yeah, there's a little bit of retrofuturism kind of going on, right? Like, but we don't want to, I don't want to get too far ahead because then like it would really change things like the feel and, and the look and feel of like the 60s, right? We want to keep that so it's recognizable, yeah. but not like recognizable, but just. So like, I, oh, I, yeah. I think that as an example of some fiction that's done this sort of idea really well, has been the newest couple of Wolfenstein games that take place in an alternate 1960s where Germany has won the war and they've won it with robots and rockets. And in Wolfenstein 2, the Nazi leadership has moved to Venus and you have to go to Venus to like, uh, you know, (laughs) track them down. And like, it's actually like, but they do it really well. It sounds fantastical, but it seems, you know, it seems just reasonable enough they're like all right well i saw the crazy stupid retro future technology they had in you know wolfenstein in the 1940s so 20 years plus sure fine they're on venus why not this is cool let's go with it like i think if you make it cool enough and interesting enough and calibrate the retro futurism enough like you don't want to have iphones in 1971 um but if you calibrate it just enough um I, I think you can make it work and in a way that like feels cool and exciting as opposed to just being like outlandish and absurd. I'm with you on that. Cool. So that's our we did fifties. Now we move on into the sixties. Yeah. So I picked nineteen sixty nine because that was kind of such a big turning point for America culturally. Um that was, you know, Woodstock, the summer of love, uh Vietnam War. 
Um, and just a historical clarification, a, the ramp up the Vietnam War. Because we were correct. in Vietnam since 64, but. Correct. We were. I well, mean, technically, was, we were there since 58, but, you know. We'll right, but it. it didn't really become a war until. Yeah, it, it wasn't in the, the American psyche really until it's 68, 69. Right. And, and so you had anti-war protests and the country was dividing along these battle lines, which also were kind of battle lines, not just pro-war, anti-war, but in a lot of ways, young versus old. And it symbolized in a lot of ways um, a changing of the guard in American culture. And that is the model I want to use. I don't have a great idea for what the hell the villain is or what's going on here. But I know I figured out all the subplots. I just got to figure out the plot. <laughs> all right. Well, I had a, I had an idea for villains. So I think this should be our Legion of Doom movie. Yeah, and I think I think the Legion because it kind of makes sense that like if we want to keep it a little, I think we we did big scale in 55. Let's take it a step back and go a little smaller scale because I think the Legion of Doom uh, should be as opposed to what they've done in other things where it's just like all the big super villains team up and fight them. I get why they do that, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just like none of these people would team up together. They're all individually powerful and have their own motives. I think that the Legion of Doom should be led by Lex Luthor because he's an asshole. Yes, and Lex Luthor, who got the contract to clean up the Brainiac crash. Yes. So he that's where he's getting all his tech. Okay, keep going. Yep. And is also, to your point, a sort of member of the older society, right? Sure. Of like the you know, conservative values in, of the 60, 50s and 60s. Uh, and he should be leading a group of B and C list villains. People we've seen maybe on the side of things or if there's, you know, one-off movies, like a Flash movie or whatever. Like we see some of these. Because he, he shouldn't be up there with other A-lists. It shouldn't be Lex Luthor and Bizarro and Brainiac and Vandal Savage and whoever else. Like that doesn't. That's like this is the cheapening all of them because then they don't. They can't stand up on their own. Like Lex Luthor right. cannot fight the Justice League by himself. He needs a bunch of goons. Right. So these goons should be you know I don't know like Captain Boomerang and like stupid stuff like that. Like people that <laughs> the entire Suicide <laughs> Squad. Right. Basically, uh, <laughs> people he can manipulate and use to. Um, fight the justice league and i think that i don't know the exact plot of why they had need to fight yeah they want to steal the moon who knows they're doing yeah. some lex luther bullshit um but i think it would be good to try and tie it into like you said to to sort of the feel and and the culture war that was occurring at the time and i think we should see this you know division of of a division of the legion of doom versus justice league but also a division within the justice league itself not necessarily split up but conflict I got to say, I love the Legion of Doom and I love the way that you're kind of setting it up as like, it's Lex Luthor and then he's got all these henchmen, but each henchman is a fully developed character that we, I mean, we're going to spend a lot of time on them, but it's so much cooler than just having like a room full of generic, you know, <laughs> uh, stunt men in, you know, in suits with, you know, with a funny hat on, like trying to fight the, the hero, but like if every single goon that they have to fight is not some faceless cannon fodder, but like, oh, that's Captain Cold. Oh man, that's Captain Boomerang. Like, oh, that's the prankster. Like, like that's so cool. Yeah. And it's one thing that I've I've missed from like really none of them, no modern superhero movie has done it to really have like something that I do enjoy about some some of the 
DCCW stuff is when you have like groups of supervillains fighting groups of superheroes. Like, a visually, it gives everyone something to do, right? Yeah. Like, also, excuse me. Um, <laughs> it gives them something to do where sometimes where that's why the problem with the Avengers movie so far is that you have this thing where it's like big bad guy and mindless CGI army, which like there's a time and a place for that once, but not <laughs> every movie. But but in Infinity War, that army is going to be really big. Well, that but I will say in <laughs> Infinity War, we get the, his four like goons, like the um, yes. what are they called? I forget. But what are they are? Corvus Glaive and all them, which are cool. And I'm like, yeah, give me like into because we need to have that because you've got like 40 people in this movie. They all have, to have something <laughs> to do. So um, I'm excited to have like one v one fights between like different members of the Avengers and Thanos's henchmen, his goons. So I want to see that in this. Because I assume the team will be, you know, like I said, we don't need to include everybody, but a little bigger, maybe uh, a little more for people to do a little more international. So we should have a little bit more going on. So I think some sort of international plot by Lex Luthor to disrupt something or steal something or uh, maybe we can even have it tie into, you know, Vietnam or something in the Cold War so that it begins to put this question of like, well, what is there? It hasn't really come up so far, but what is our relationship? Where should we, you know? I, I kind of like Lex Luthor sometimes being the guy from Lethal Weapon 2, where he's like, just like diplomatic immunity the whole movie and keeps showing his like diplomatic immunity. And like, ah, you can't get in this time because he's got that pass. And then, you know, well, we all know how that ends. But uh, something along those lines, where like he's got some sort of protection that Superman just can't haul him off to jail, right? He's in with the man, he's in with the government, something along those lines. Right. And I think that, um, and I do think that in a lot of ways, this can be Superman's movie. Because I like the idea of Superman really being facing a conflict of truth, justice in the American way versus the American government. And where do you draw that line? And, you know, should he intervene in Vietnam? And whose side should he intervene on? You know, what what is it like when half of America wants this war and the other half doesn't? What is the paragon of the american way how where does he choose to intervene winning the war or stopping the war and he can wrestle with this um at the same time he is you know trying to stop his arch nemesis lex luther um and i also want to set up i feel like this is the time again because this was also kind of a changing of the guard culturally in america young versus old this is where we can start getting into like the passing of the torch passing of the mantle um to you know, the younger generation of Justice League members, like, you know, maybe we have a new Flash and this is his first time and we see Nightwing, um, you know, has has become his own, you know, Dick Grayson has graduated from Robin to Nightwing by this point and there's a new Robin. Um, and I like the idea of, and I really want to lean into 60s Batman with this because if you watch the 60s Batman TV show, like, it's easy to see that Batman character, the Adam West's Batman, as kind of this like stodgy, authoritarian, you know, um, kind of paternalistic guy. But actually, um, that Batman was pretty progressive. And I kind of like the idea that Bruce Wayne, you know, at this point in our chronology, like he's getting close to 60. And I like the idea of Batman being the voice of the counterculture in kind of superman's internal argument like batman's been getting groovy lately like he's 
you know, he's kind of relaxed and he's more comfortable with who he is. And um, he's he's against the war in Vietnam and he's been hanging out with hippies. And um, you've got Wonder Woman is kind of challenging Superman for outright leadership of the league. She thinks he's too indecisive. Um, so you've got all this internal turmoil within the league. Um, and a big one is who's going to be the next Batman. Um, so once let's take a quick step back here. Yes. Uh, so in the comics, not that it's that way, but part of Dick Grayson's motivation for leaving the role of Robin is because him and Batman have a falling out when it comes to partially just like, I think just needing to get out on his own and, you know, being his own person and not live under his wing all the time. But, uh, also just like, I think Nightwing, I forget the exact reasons, but one of them was being like too aggressive or something along those lines. And anyway, they just had a, a parting of ways and didn't really want to, they help each other out here and there. But, you know, do we want to have something like that happen or no? I have, I have that sorted. Okay. I don't want to reveal it in this, in this one though. I okay. want to have it clear when you get here that sometime between 55 and 69, um, Batman and Dick Grayson had some kind of falling out. There is a new Robin and Dick Grayson is now, Nightwing. Okay. Um, I think this Robin should be Jason Todd. Okay. Who is the second Robin. Uh, we'll give him a little more character than initially he had, because originally he was basically just a clone of Dick Grayson. <laughs> it's like, oh, another acrobat uh, orphan? Yeah, how how original. Um, <laughs> but because I have another idea that I don't know if it's going to jive with your whole Batman story, but... Because <laughs> there's only two other options for Robin. Well, there's a couple more than that. Traditionally, you know, you could also go with Tim Drake, uh, the third Robin, the fourth Robin, Damien. Oh, I don't think a Damien is going to exist in this world for reasons. And I could investigate one of the female Robins. I'm not as familiar with their stories, but um, it's also a possibility. So the the only reason I would I would call for a female Robin in this is because I feel like it jives with the rise of. Uh, you know, kind of second wave feminism that was happening around this time. Um, yeah. So you get your allegory in there. Um, Ooh, I, okay. So, well, weird line of thinking here. So the reason I like Jason Todd is, is I think that the under the red hood storyline, the death of a Robin and the under red storyline is a good story. And I think that has a place in our universe. However, if we make it a girl, then I feel like we're going to get like accused of fridging, right? But then again, if also having a female character named Red Hood may sound like Little Red Riding Hood, and I'm not sure I like that either, but <laughs> there's so a lot of problems here. I think we should save Jason Todd for the 80s and 90s because... Oh, I agree, but... Um, so why don't we say that Robin right now is maybe Stephanie Brown or Barbara Gordon, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. But we know that there's, been a, that there's a new Robin, and um, it's a big question of, geez... Batman is getting old and so far of like the original team, he's the only one, he's the only non-immortal who's still kicking it. And like, you know, it's a big question of who's going to take over. So I want that kind of like, you know, so throughout it, you've got the, you know, you got Robin and Nightwing kind of like really trying to outdo each other and really prove to Batman and Superman and whoever's, I don't know, in charge of choosing the next Batman that like, they're ready for the role. Um, uh, maybe even the current, whoever the current Green Arrow is, is, you know, a dark horse candidate for Batman. But like, they're all, you know, vying for position. Um, 
And I think at the very end, um, we kill Batman with no clear, uh, no clear heir apparent. Batman dies before, uh, before he has a chance to, um, name an heir essentially. And that is kind of your cliffhanger moment of holy shit. They killed Batman and also holy shit. Who's going to be the next Batman? I have another thing and I don't want to derail double... me entirely. <laughs> no, you will. Yeah. But I, I like that. I, but I also don't want to like double cliffhanger. That's kind of dumb. You don't have too much happen, but I also sort of think that I think that Superman should leave. Hmm. I think that at the end of this movie between his conflict with his worldview being so challenged, the events of the movie with Lex Luthor and the Vietnam war, and then the death of his, in a lot of ways, you know, maybe not mentor, but partner. I think he says, you know what? I'm not in the position to be Superman anymore. I'm going to go find myself and just flies off into space. I like that. Cause I think because, that also gives you a super return of the Jedi or not. Um, Empire Strikes Back kind of all hope is lost ending. Right. And it's a little bit of Avengers disassembled, Justice League disassembled sort of thing. Like, I mean, it's still Justice League, obviously, but it's two founding members are gone. And it also gives us, it can give us a time without a Superman for a little while, which might be good visually and just for, you know, having different villains or different heroes and villains and things. Uh, it lets other people step into the light. You know, Wonder Woman says, well, we know who won that one. I'm in charge now. Uh, and then we'll go from there. So, so then, so then I agree. I, so then after that, I do think we need to get into the seventies. Um, I think your suggestion here is we get into kind of the fantasy magical side of things. You've got Shazam, Dr. Fate. I see you wrote Constantine. I'm not sure he below. I mean, he's such an eighties dude. It's uh, true. He is an eighties dude, but like, yeah, I guess you're right. We love Constantine. 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 It's um, how Alan Moore but, says it. I know. Um, it's his character. He gets to make up his mind. <laughs> so I think that this would be a good time to, you know, uh, the 70s, you know, kind of embrace, like, the revival of Tolkien in our minds. Ooh. Like, you know, kind of do a fantasy romp that, like I said, involves magic. Maybe Shazam. Maybe not Shazam. Maybe do, like, although Shazam could be a good standing for Superman, although it's also sort of just like an analog Superman, which isn't exactly right. But like, I like Dr. Fate. Satana's okay, I guess. Um, the guy who, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, the demon guy who's like speaks in rhymes. Uh, Erdogan? Yes. Like, he's super cool. Ooh, ooh, let's do, no. Yeah, we'll do the, because uh, like one of the main magics that DC seems to fuck around with a lot is like Camelot and merlin and all that kind of stuff yeah so maybe we could do like some arthurian magic here you cool all right with that? that does feel right in the 70s i'm i'm I, i'm not gonna let you use constantine in this no, one but no um, that's okay but uh, he might just deserve his own side movie or tv show or something you know i guess we've tried that <laughs> oh, a bit of news he's gonna be a uh they've upgraded his character to be a season regular in legends of tomorrow in the yes. fourth season which is kind of interesting i I'm just glad for something like a little bit different, but which apparently now everyone is saying is, is the best of the legend or the best of the DCCW shows, which is weird. Cause it's just like bonkers and nuts and doesn't make any sense, but it's also kind of like, yeah, this is fun. So, but yeah, so I, you know, I don't know if we need to have like, I'm trying, I didn't get quite as in depth as you did about some of the more, uh, the bigger themes of like the seventies, but 
Hey, man. Any ideas? You got a gas crisis. You've got um, a crime wave. Um, I think everybody's looking for an escape. So sure, you know, get all and like, like 1970s heavy metal style, like, um, uh, like, I mean, like heavy metal magazine style magic and, you know, like chain mail bikinis and stuff like, yeah, I, I want this movie to look like the side of somebody's van is what I'm saying. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm on board for that one. I'm cool with that. And maybe not a lot like has to happen, you know, that's like big or far reaching. That's just sort of what the style of the movie is. Yeah. And I think having Superman still kind of be on, be in exile and mm-hmm. um, Batman being kind of out of the, out of the picture. Although maybe we'll hear some rumors that there have been Batman sightings in Gotham, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. I chose, I chose Justice League 1977. Um, not really sure why. Maybe make it a little early, eh, maybe 76. But it doesn't really matter. So now I struggled a little bit because I wasn't sure. I, I wanted to do something in the 80s, but then I realized, like, since 1990 is basically in the 80s, maybe we just jump to 1990. So, so you, you, this is where you want to bring in Darkseid. I don't think Darkseid happens in the 90s. I think Darkseid happens in the 2000s as a kind of commentary on superhero movies today of the 2010s and their galactic threats. Um, I mean, when I think about the nineties and I think about like what's happening in movies and in culture, I'm thinking of like mainly in movies and, you know, genre stuff like super stylized action. I'm thinking of the matrix, even though that was like 99, but there were a lot of things that led up to that. And, you know, a lot of, uh, like spiky hair and sunglasses and trench coats and all that stuff. And I just can't shake it. I don't know what you do in the nineties. Well, I'm thinking that's why I mean, like maybe we can make it. Maybe we should make it 1988. Then I was thinking more like 1990, as in the late 80s. Yeah, basically thinking like lasers and rush stuff, and like just like bonkers neon space stuff. That's what I wanted, like a Tron movie. But aha, so you want Tron, not the Matrix? I'm on board. This yeah, feels like and, a Green Lantern situation. Yeah, it could do that. My idea was that, and to get us off Earth, I wanted to do a, a space movie. So I think we'll do, we'll do, we'll do, you know, fantasy in the seventies. We'll do space in the late eighties. Uh, so we can make it 88 or something. If that's what you, if it make you feel better, Greg. Um, yeah. Yeah. Avoiding the nineties always makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, no one likes the nineties. So I think that my idea was that the justice league learns and it doesn't have to just be dark. So I guess there's probably other cosmic threats we could use. Um, my idea was that the justice league would learn of an imminent invasion by dark side and cronies and but they decide that listen, we don't want to bring this war to Earth. We're gonna go to Apocalypse and fight Darkseid there, or maybe meet him somewhere in the middle or something with some you know assistance from the just from the uh, Green Lantern Corps, and maybe get into some new gods stuff, um, which apparently they're making into a movie. Uh, yeah, I'm into with it. The woman. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen uh, uh, Wrinkle in Time. Yes, Wrinkle in Time. Thank you. Um, I I heard mixed things yeah. but um not exactly the best source material from my understanding either but it's an interesting choice it's like all right we'll add one more m- movie to like the 15 movies that's like currently in development by dc <laughs> but but here this movie this could get into some like weird jack kirby new godsy kind of you know even though it's kind of 70s but this can be a little more 80s style of that and it's hard for me not to get on board when you say the words jack kirby but i think i have a better fit for the 80s okay 
And I noticed in kind of we had, you know, in our little planning document, a little parking lot for like floating ideas, leftover ideas. What better time to do your time travel movie than in the late 80s? Ooh, that is true. You've got your you've got Vandal Savage and maybe Pear Degaton as, you know, your villain. And you get in some time travel hijinks. It's 1988. Like everybody had a DeLorean that could go back in time at that point. I mean, I'm not saying you just remake Back to the Future, but um, <laughs> but with uh, but with Robin in place of Marty McFly. But I'm saying you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I think that I do think that since time travel is sort of a it's been a for a long time been a component of Flash's character, we sort of let something to do it maybe it's not exactly him just like grabbing someone and running to the past because that's like a little bit ridiculous but just like something with his combination of power set and his ability to access the speed force whatever that yes they i think that i did have floating that a vandal savage based time travel movie is good um okay so we'll we'll, we'll slot that here yeah all right good i feel like we got there on that one yeah um i think that this might also be like this time period might be a good time to like explore some take a break from the justice League movies for a little bit, like basically from this point to maybe the mo- a modern movie where you can do some side stories or something that, because th- that's the nineties kind of feel that way to me. It's just like, it's just like side stories, <laughs> nothing really important going on. Right. No, no, <laughs> no. It was a bad time for the world. <laughs> Dark days. Um, all right. So let's accelerate to our modern day justice league today, justice league. Now, um, I think this is where we go. I think this is where we go big because again, that's what superhero movies are in the 2010s. It's like, that's what, you know, it's big, it's intergalactic threats. So now we can bring in dark side and I want to have the, I really want to dig into like the idea of these superheroes who are on the justice league. Cause again, at this point, the justice league is an institution that's like 70 years old, um, where like these heroes and the mantle of the heroes have become like so built up and institutionalized like i had this idea of like the justice league is no longer just 10 superpowered people who sit around a table but like there's whole support staffs and like the flash has like a like team around him of like like assistants and researchers and um you know it's like the it's like the flash division of the justice league company um, because that's the other thing you never really see is like the Avengers tower, you know, like that's a big fucking building who works in all those offices and what are they doing? Um, <laughs> you know, but it's like, just, it's just rented office space at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> um, so you could, you could have like, you could almost, I mean, you could almost do things where like the green lantern division, all the people who work for green lantern, like they've got a grudge against all the people that work for flash and like the Aquaman people, like they're the bottom of the totem pole. Cause everybody doesn't know what they do here. Um, <laughs> I'm not making it into a workplace comedy, but like being able to establish like, you know, this justice league has been around for 70 years. Like they're a major force in the world and they're, they're, they're not business, but they're, they're big. Um, um, but at this point, again, you know, we've got um, – but Batman has resurfaced at this point. We don't know who it is um, because Batman and Superman have both been kind of off the radar for the most part. Superman definitely comes back to deal with Darkseid and Batman comes back as well. Um, 
the assumption is that Batman is, well, this is just whoever, you know, somebody took over and was accepted, you know, Superman's vouching for him. I don't know who this is. I don't know how, you know, is that Jason Todd? Is that, you know, is that Tim Drake? You know, you can have all kinds of rumors around the office about who it is and different theories, um, you know, that, uh, oh, no, that's actually, you know, that's actually so-and-so who was up for Green Lantern, but they gave him Batman. Um, uh, and this is where I want to pay off at the end of this movie, um, you know, finally solving the mystery of who Batman is, is I want it to still be Bruce Wayne <laughs> because of my deep and abiding love for Batman year 100 by Paul Pope, where I'm basically just rehashing that story where the subplot is, who is this guy who's running around in the 2030s as Batman? Oh, it's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> he's just still at it after all these years because he's a crazy person who takes really, really good care of himself, I guess. Um, but we don't know how Bruce Wayne is still alive after all these time and still kicking ass as Batman and not looking like a 90 year old. So you have written here in our document that you have thoughts on my Batman line. So I, I like it, but I also don't like it. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's, it's a, it's a route that I think is interesting and cool. It's just that I had another route that I also think is interesting and cool. So which, what's your alternative? So my alternative was that, because I like the idea of secret old man Bruce Wayne working behind the scenes and sort of manipulating both the, the new Batman, whether that's a Tim Drake or Terry McGinnis or whoever, uh, but also sort of like subtly manipulating the Justice League itself. I'm not sure exactly how. I don't want to be like nefarious or anything. Like he's not right. a villain, but just like just doing Bruce Wayne things. I do think that um, I I really like the the power of the like the death and resurrection of Jason Todd, but I think that doesn't have to be Bruce Wayne necessarily. So, because I could see like if maybe when Batman dies, Dick Grayson takes on the mantle for a little while, takes on a Jason Todd Robin, he dies. Dick Grayson goes a little dark during that time period, so we get that like dark batman in like the 80s sure a little bit and then you know comes back as the red hood having that conflict and then maybe that's what pushes dick grayson to retirement and jason todd won't have anything to do with the mantle so that leaves this gap i'm trying to mush the two together somehow but we see oh maybe that's where i get this new guy show up kind of like batman beyond style i don't know so my original thought was, you know, that by the time we got to modern day, we'd been through five or six iterations of Batman and, um, you know, we were up to Terry McGinnis at this point. I basically plotted it out and like <laughs> actually made a list of like a Gantt chart of, all right, so if Bruce Wayne is this old and this is his Robin and that Robin starts at 19 and then like I tried to map it out over the course of these 70 years and it just became kind of tough to make it all like work chronologically. Mm -hmm. um, I will say 
So anyway, the way that I would my my reveal of how Bruce Wayne is still doing it is after this movie, I would release Batman 1964, which obviously takes place in the 60s. It's swinging 60s, like almost like globe hopping, globe hopping, like James Bond style adventure. They're chasing down some Riddler thing, um, run afoul of international terrorist Ra's al Ghul and discover the existence of the Lazarus pit flash forward in at the very end of that movie flash forward to 1969. And just at the moment that Batman died in our 1969 movie, we see um, Dick Grayson basically racing the body to a Lazarus pit to bring him back to life. Um, And Bruce Wayne um, is not a fan of this decision. And that's where they have their falling out. Um, you know, you, 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 you know, the, this was a huge risk. You brought me back. I could have come back crazy like Rachel Ghoul, and, you know, how dangerous would I be to the world if I was a bad guy, you know, and, um, you know, I wanted to work in stuff about how this wasn't just a falling out for them as crime fighting partners, but also as romantic partners. I know you're not totally bought into my whole, like Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne is a gay man and, uh, you know, he and Dick Grayson are in love. Um, but for the record, I don't mind Bruce Wayne being gay. I'm just not sure I like that him and Dick being together. They're only like, okay, so (laughs) you've got to conceptualize a Robin where, um, you know, Batman's like 30 and Robin's like 22. Like, no, I I get that. I get that. Um, and they, and, and they, they realize they're in love with each other after they've been like fighting crime together for a while. It's not like. You know, Bruce Wayne's like trolling the orphanage is looking for his next prey. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, no, I, I'm with you on that. I, I have that in my mind. I, I'm still, uh, yeah, no. Um, I like that. Yeah. So, so what that he keep does, then he keeps using the Lazarus pit to Lazarus pit to stay young. I don't know how young, you know, is it and, and how does Lazarus pit work? I mean, we can write our own rules for it. Like, does it make you functionally immortal or does it just give you another 50 years how does it work? Um, I mean, I feel like we can kind of, you know, figure that out. You know, does he come out of it like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, Alan Quartermain and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, they, he goes into this pit and comes out as a young man again. You know, does he go in at 60 and come out as at 30 again? Um, however, we really want to do it. Um, but also, you know, you figure by the time we get into the you know, 70s, 80s, where he might need another dose of it. Imagine where technology has come at this point, you know, vis-a-vis, um, uh, you know, the Brainiac tech. Or another way we could do it would be, um, I mean, if we're doing time travel in 1988, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. could you imagine a version of Robin deciding that his big thing is he's going to go and he's going to basically pull, you know, Bruce Wayne back into our time stream? Right before these ki- he's killed, you know, just snatch him out of the way of the bullet and bring him to the present day, something like that. I don't know. I just like the idea that um, that Bruce Wayne's been here all along, maybe working more behind the scenes. Um, you know, he's gone back into a mysterious role. Um, but like when you have the unmasking, like I want Bruce Wayne to like, you know, I basically want it to be a, like, a, you caught me kind of moment yeah. not a like they're on to my sinister plot you know um because right. i don't i just i mean people have tried but i've never seen a convincing bruce wayne is a convincing villain like i just no no i mean you know there's the alternate 
reality versions, not of him, but of people like him, like Owlman and things like that, that are, uh, they are convincing, but not Bruce Wayne as a villain. Um, I also feel like there's something that like, you know, repeated dunks in the Lazarus pit. There could be a private story that sort of you, you trace back, you know, so we don't really see him hear rumors or whatever, but that, that sort of dark eighties, nineties Batman that we're sort of like accustomed to is from Bruce Wayne repeatedly dunking himself and turning back into a 20 year old. And then there's some, maybe something with a Jason talking like that is a realization that I can't keep doing this. I'm becoming like a bad right person. And then he stops using it. So maybe he will be like 30 or 35 in the unmasking, but he's also kind of come clean of his Lazarus pit addiction. It's no longer corrupting him. And now he's like, I'm, I'm going to not do that anymore. Right. And you could even do it. I mean, I, I don't know. And I, maybe a reconnection between him and Dick Grayson at that point or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, I guess Dick Grayson is probably pretty old. I guess it won't matter though, but right. But you know, he's, you know, Bruce is old too. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I that, that's kind of the, you know, the story I want to tell of like, you know, you know, that because I think in a lot of ways and a lot of the, times that they you've put superman and batman together and you kind of examine their relationship and the idea that the inadequacy that bruce wayne has to feel next to superman that everything that bruce wayne had to work so hard to achieve in terms of his physical ability and mental ability well let's say physical ability all of that and like all of the technology he has to use to be even close to bulletproof and superman walks on the scene he's like duh isn't everybody like this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, like he's got to, there's got to be. And as he gets older and he sees, you know, Wonder Woman and Superman are basically going to be leading the Justice League forever young because they're immortal. Like for him to seek out a way to do that, to, you know, to achieve that himself, you know, to, so that he's on equal footing with them forever. Um, you know, I kind of like that idea. Yeah, I like that too. And then I like that. So here's all right. So here's where we fit in. So here, so I think at this point, you know, maybe by this point he's forty. Let's say when he, at the unmasking, I don't know how the math lines up. We can figure it out then. But it's Lazarus Pit. Who cares? Maybe he ages more. Who knows? Like the effects of the Lazarus Pit can be whatever they want them to be, right? So that I think that our next movie should be a future Justice League movie, like 2030, 2040, something like that. Um, and this is where Bruce Wayne is an old man. Yeah, but he's leading you know he's up in the watchtower now they've got the you know the justice league space station they've probably had for a while but um they're up there and he is effectively you know leading the team as almost like they're alfred yeah but he's an old man and now there's like a terry mcginnis and you know this kind of thing and um he's come to terms with he's going you know he's his mortality and that superman's down there and just has a little bit of gray at his temples oh yeah and that's okay you know I think that's would be like the next movie then. Oh, I love a graying Superman. Yeah, I don't know why I like it too, but and then the one I like the suit that um you ever seen the suit he wears in the uh Beyond universe? The Superman? Batman yeah. Beyond? No, I don't think so. To Google. Yeah, to Google. So um and I feel like this might be time for like Revenge of Brainiac. I don't know, something like that. Like uh just like a callback to the initial back in the day, like I don't know. Oh, um, it's that, it's that, um, yeah, that black and white suit. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, I'm a fan of that one. It's not like, it's not like black suit Superman where it's like goofy, but it's just like, this is like a futuristic Superman suit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I'm a fan of that one. So uh, that's what I think should be our, uh, our, our Justice League future movie. And I know we focus a lot on 
Superman and Batman predominantly. But that's kind of comes to the territory, I feel like. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, they are the, you know, they're the axis around which all of this revolves, right? I mean, like, you're not going to make, you're not going to make X-Men movies all about Cyclops. I mean, it's, true. it's, it's, you know, they're the, they're kind of the richest ground. And um, that's not to say that you couldn't make a great Green Lantern movie, but it's going to be real tough to make a great Green Lantern movie um, with Batman as a side character. Yeah. You know, um, as a supporting character. And you just, you know, they're the interesting characters. And, you know, the, the Batman Superman dynamic is so interesting and exciting. And I think, you know, you can, you know, as you look through each year, you can kind of say, like, ah, this one's more of the Flash. Flash's movie. This one's more of so and so's movie, but um, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of like Star Wars, the the you know the original trilogy. Like it's it's always gonna come back to Luke and Vader. You know, Han might have a bigger role in one movie, but um, you know, it, it's it's about the Luke Vader dynamic. Yeah, and I think that you know, like, like we talked about before, like there's there's room for other movies. You know, in this time, you've got these. You're skipping decades right yeah. a decade 15 years of time so you can make a if you really like you want to make a hawkman movie like go for it like do it like and like i think there's room because you have this whole breadth of you know like a, a century essentially if not you know more like you can just be like all right let's just make a movie about this character in this time period it can be even more you know marvel kind of says like oh each movie's kind of a take on a different genre it's like well a little bit but like they're all kind of similar yeah but like really lean into like if you want to go back to like make a Batman movie from when he's like chumming around in like the 40, like 1940 and make it like a super noir, like yeah style thing, do it. Or you want to make a really bright and cheery Superman movie, like right when he's kind of stepping into it that doesn't have any belts in it. And he's just him fighting some, the ultra humanoid. Know, right. Or like, I don't know. Uh, what's the, what's the guy with the, he's like the robot metallo um like you know if i'm metallo sure like why the hell not like do that like do those kind of things and it's fine um notice notice how we don't have any reality changing events in here what do you mean real oh we're rebooting like the entire crises yeah yeah um not that i wouldn't like some multiverse stuff that is one thing i feel is missing like it'd be fun to have like a like a other because there are some pretty famous characters who are like other universe people in our universe i don't know but well yeah where there's it's where like it's the crime syndicate or something where it's they come from an alternate universe and they're all villains like Ooh, that could be a good future one yeah or you could slot that in in any you know in any time period yeah. like that could be your set you know you want to do that in the 90s sure grimdark right. 90s you've got your grimdark heroes come from an alternate dimension and have to yeah. get their asses handed to them by proper heroes i like it i like it i'm feeling well, good about this yeah i think um and uh, now that we've published it and put it out there for free using a, someone else's intellectual property, we'll never, ever, ever be paid for it. But um, <laughs> I think we've done a th I think we've done a thing. Well, maybe we can maybe we can pull like a Squadron Supreme and just like, you know, slightly tweak everyone's right. name and like publish it ourselves. Like, oh, yeah, he's a really cool man. This is, and, yeah, this is uh, you know, Ultraman and Owl Dude. <laughs> Unfortunately, all of the superhero names are taken. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Well, in in um in the authority, it's uh, Batman is uh what is it? Crap, I'm losing. I lost it. Uh, but uh, the Batman analog um uh is Knight something, and the Superman analog is Apollo, and 
they are boyfriend and boyfriend in the authority. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but their, their version of Batman kills dudes all the time. Oh, interesting. Um, I think in Squadron Supreme, it's like, I think it is Ultraman and... No, it's it's just Supreme. Oh, you're right. You're right. He is Supreme. I just can't ever get in my head, like, the completely naked Wonder Woman all the time. <laughs> She's like an ancient goddess who, like, yeah. feeds so she on looks people. like a statue, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I forget who the Batman analog is. Yeah, he's like the one that was the he was the African American whose family was killed by the KKK, and he's like a racial, yeah, charged vigilante. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but yeah, so I like that idea. Um, so DC, you know, it's free if you if want to come. It's free if you want it. If you want to bring us in for a couple weeks, you know, give us some like beer and Mountain Dew and like Doritos. <laughs> we'll uh we'll sit there and like you know be nerds with you and make you a bunch of money because people would watch these movies people love period pieces people love seeing like stylized versions of like the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and every decade and look i mean if if you know justice league and batman versus superman and suicide squad had taught you anything is that some people will go see any pile of crap with these characters in it so we might as well make our pile of crap right and that's the biggest thing. I was like, I don't see like why. I mean, clearly they lost. I'm sure they don't think they lost any money. They lost potential money in some of these movies, right? But as demonstrated by big blockbusters, like yeah, like I bet Rampage is going to make some money because that's just what people like to go see. So you might as well make them good, <laughs> right? You might as well do something unique because like if it's got Batman in it, it's going to make a lot of money, yeah. no matter the the con like no matter the context. And, so, and 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 our 1948 movie really doesn't require much in terms of a special effects budget. I mean, all you need is some fancy looking prop guns and a way to make Superman fly. And you guys probably figured that out by now. So, what do you say? Yeah. Well, all right. I think we did it. I think we. Uh, I think we made a a pretty good alternate version of the DC cinematic universe. We did. Although I feel like really bummed out now because now i just want to watch all these movies and they don't exist oh you can they <laughs> exist in your mind buddy i know i know <laughs> maybe we'll write a fan fiction someday it'll be fun uh, we literally just did but like actually write it now no we did <laughs> <laughs> it's done yeah so i mean who knows maybe the next uh, the next dc movie will be good it won't no uh, you mean aquaman no, yeah no it won't be <laughs> and did you right. see the shit the set pictures from Sh shazam no, no. Why would I look at that? I don't know. It looks bonkers because uh, Zach Levi is a weird choice for Shazam. And they basically, I will say this, his costume is 100% comic accurate. Huh. Maybe I will look into that. It's it's weird. <laughs> uh, I don't know why they're making a Shazam movie. <laughs> somebody, so, somebody lost a bet. Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, we did it. If you have any, you know, you got to point out some you know, plot holes we made. That's what you do on the internet, right? Hot takes. Um, this is the biggest hot take of all this whole episode, <laughs> two episodes. But um, let us know. Though. I mean, if you have some cool ideas or ways to slot in some of your favorite DC characters, I mean, I'm sure there's like some really hardcore Aquaman fans out there who are like, but you completely ignored the nuance of blah, blah, blah. You know, you can tell us. We'll, we'll work it in somehow, maybe. The only hardcore Aquaman fan is the mother of whoever's currently writing Aquaman. <laughs> You're doing That's such fair. a good job with the with the aqua boy. <laughs> Does he still talk to fish? Alright, guy. Alright. See you next week. See you next week.